Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God. And uh, the Kingdom of God is within you. It's within your mind. It's within your heart. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of other stuff in your mind, (laughs) in your heart, that doesn't make much room for the Kingdom. You know, when I look out at uh, news events and uh, the interaction of society, there there seems to be a cognitive disconnect, which we've talked about. We have a number of recordings on this mental disconnection between what we would call reality and what people think. And uh, it reminds me of uh, the uh, old Seinfeld joke where he's uh, asked, uh, you know, uh, or the question where women want to know what men are thinking. And he says, that's easy. Nothing. We're not thinking anything. <laughs> and, well, I, I don't really think that's true. Uh, I think there's an awful lot of people who don't really do much thinking. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts that pass through their head, but they they don't seem to have any standard by which they measure what is true and what is false. And uh, they actually think more with their emotions. And uh, we talked about the marshmallow test where you ask a small child, would you want a marshmallow if I give it to you now? Or would you want to wait and later on I will give you two marshmallows? And uh, that's supposed to be a way if if they wait for the second marshmallow, the two marshmallows, then that's a sign that these people will succeed in life. Because they actually don't just immediately look for instant gratification, but they contemplate the fact that if I wait, I will get more. Things will be supposedly better, although I'm not sure two marshmallows are better than one. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, the fact is a lot of people don't think things through. They react to what's in the moment, and uh, they react based on feelings, and feelings are often the product of, um, you know, uh, adrenalines and uh, hormones and uh, uh, emotions. So what we talk about when we talk about somebody who does a little bit more contemplating or thinking about things, that that person is supposedly an introvert. But the fact is, is when you talk about introverts and extroverts, they are not antithesis of the same thing. They are, they are not a polar opposites. Uh, that a person can be both introverted and extroverted at the same time. And, uh, but they have characteristics and it's a psychological term. And, um, they say that, uh, introverted people are, are more, ex- uh, accepting of introspection. They're more willing to look inside themselves and at what they're thinking and they relate what they're thinking to other things. They're less less emotional bias in an introvert. And uh, uh, they don't necessarily require or they're certainly not addicted to the opinions of others. And so, you know, I mean, if you look for a definition of an introvert as a, a person predominantly concerned 
with their own thoughts and feelings rather than with external things. Now, that that almost sounds selfish, but this is in relationship to other things, the stimulation from outside. As a matter of fact, one of the things that uh, they've come to understand is that introverts uh, ha- are wired different. They're hardwired different. They, when they're out in a group of people or in a crowd uh, where there's a lot going on, that they're actually picking up on more things. They're more observant. And they're sensing more things around them. They're feeling the presence uh, of other people and the reactions of other people, the emotions of other people. And so they're actually taking in more input. And so because of that, too much input actually tires them out. Introverts have a tendency to be somewhat exhausted by uh, interaction with large groups of people, you know, go to a party or whatever. While an extrovert wants to go to the party, they actually are stimulated by the party and they actually feel uh, energized by the presence of all sorts of other people. And they're, they're addicted to the presence of other people. They need other people around them. Well, uh, the, the introvert uh, doesn't really need that. And as a matter of fact, they often look for a little bit of uh, a solitary time and uh, to be off by themselves, and they're perfectly content in being off by themselves and quiet. And uh, so what is really going on? We we have this idea to think that an introvert is, you know, a loner, a person who is, uh, you know, more uh, shy, uh, that they're not uh, going to be someone who likes to go to big parties and groups, etc., and that isn't necessarily so. They they can take it or leave it. They, they've learned to leave it because occasionally it is a little overwhelming. And they, they find contentment in uh, considering uh, their own thoughts. They say that uh, they'll be happy just curling up with a book and reading a book rather than going to a party. Well, an extrovert has to go to the party because it needs that input. And the extrovert is also not going to be more contemplative. But again, these are not opposites. A person can be both introverted and extroverted at the same time. They're not like you're either one or the other. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So what is really going on is that the introvert, like I say, is they found them to be more hardwired to receiving information from outside. But they also, when they receive that information from outside, they measure it against what is already in their minds and in their body. Because now we've talked about this before, that the the mind isn't just in your head. There's actually brain cells in your intestines. There are brain cells in other parts of your body. I mean, like a lizard... Uh, has uh, or a dinosaur their their brain is all over uh their body you know they see a very small cranium sometimes in uh a dinosaur compared to the size of the animal but it's because a great deal of their body is containing parts of their brain and it's all wired together 
and it's not all held in their cranium. And we we don't have all of our thinking that goes on in our mind. Well, some of our thinking goes on in other parts of our body, but it's more uh, automatic. It, but now, say you're wired to receive more information from a lot of different sources. And we're going to actually talk eventually about are you, you know, everything that exists in the universe has a corresponding spiritual existence. In the beginning, there was the spirit, and the spirit was made flesh, made material. And so, if you have physical receptors in your body that is picking up, give you an example. People talk about somebody comes into the room and the hair stands up on the back of their head. They sense something about that person. They sense something about a situation. They walk into a room and they feel the tension. What are they actually feeling? Is their brain noticing something that they didn't consciously realize and it's 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 sending signals of to be alert? Or is there other sensors in your body that are actually picking up on the tension? I remember years ago, people like me to tell some of the stories of my journey and how I got to where I am today and, and with, come to the conclusions. You know, I used to think like everybody else, I suppose. And I changed my mind and realized that we're under a strong delusion. Now, how did I get to the point that realizing that most Christianity is operating, most people who think they're Christian, and and this is what Christ says, many shall think they're Christians, but many of those who think they're Christians are actually workers of iniquity. Many of them are the Nicolaitan uh, that uh, are, are doing things that God hates, but they think they're good Christians. Many of them are foolish virgins. Who will knock and knock and knock. And God will say, I'm not going to let you in. It's too late. You wasted your time here. And you you can't come in. I mean, Jesus tells these parables. These are rough stories. These people are are shut out and not let in. He talks about people coming to the marriage festival, but they haven't got the right garments on. He's not actually talking about the cut of your clothes. He's talking about what you put on as an individual. And, and binding them up and throwing them out of the wedding feast. Jesus is a tough cookie. <laughs> you know, if you're one of the money changers, whatever that is, he may cast you out. Well, the money changers were actually tax collectors. They were gatekeepers. That They were the porters of the temple. And only the king and Samuel... Uh, back in the days of David, could fire the money changers, could cast them out. Now, what what was Samuel? He was one of the judges. He was part of the Supreme Court of Israel. He could fire the money changers. You know, uh, he could, but David, once he became king, had this role also where he could fire the money changers, the porters of the temple, those that were receiving the contributions of the people. Now, the general contributions of the people did not go directly into the temple. It went into a network of Levites. 
that was all over Israel. And you tithe to the Levites according to their service. And then each Levite would tithe up to his minister in ranks or what they call in the Old Testament divisions. In the New Testament, we see a similar word translated. Well, it's not really a similar. We see a Greek word, prasia, translated ranks. But they, most scholars agree that that's part of a Hebrew idiom that has to do with these divisions. And it was, we see it referenced at the loaves and fishes where Jesus commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in these companies, these symposia, these these groups of ten, small groups of ten, in ranks of 50 and 100, in divisions of 50 and 100, to the tune of 5,000 people at the, the feeding of the loaves and fishes. But, of course, we had 5,000 pe- uh, people right away at the beginning of the church at Pentecost, which was literally a second exodus, and everybody was no longer going to be a part of the social welfare system of Israel, of Judea, which was called Corban. Corban means sacrifice. Your sacrifice went to the Levites and then up to the porters of the temple and went into the central treasury, which they also translate from the word Corban. The word Corban is translated, well, it's not translated when you see it as Corban, but it means sacrifice. But it is translated in the New Testament also as treasury. So, what, and of course we see in the first century church and in the early church in 300, 400, 500 AD, they had a box called Corbanos because it's where the sacrifice of the people went And then the ministers took from that box to take care of the needy of society, the widows, the orphans, you know, people who who fell on hard times and did not have a family or their family did not have the resources to completely take care of them. The church would step in and make that difference. Today, the modern church doesn't do that. The modern church, go, uh, the modern Christian goes to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. In other words, they go to the fathers of the earth, which we would call the government. We call uh, the fathers of the earth today government. They go to the government. When Jesus said, call no man on earth father, every senator of Rome was called father, patri. We actually see the, the uh, Greek word. Well, actually, it's a Latin word as well. Patri, in the Greek text, it says, call no man patri. Well, at that time, all the senators of Rome were called patri. And the emperor was called Patronus, who is the father of fathers. And so he's saying, don't call anybody father. Don't look to these fathers of the earth. If you have a need and you want to know how to pray, you pray, our father who art in heaven. Provide that daily bread as we forgive those who, you know, trespass against us. In other words, and this is also at the time where he's telling them to sit down in ranks of 10, 50, and 100. And so you forgive one another, you gather together with one another, and you take care of one another. Now, I we were talking about being introverts with introspection. 
Now you think about this. Christ commanded his apostles to make the people sit down in these ranks, in these symposia, in these companies, in these congregations, in order to receive loaves and fishes that, that there seemed to be a shortage of. You know, when Jesus asked, was there any any food? Now, he hasn't eaten. He'd been talking all day. The apostles say, we don't have enough food. We better send these people away. Uh, and we need to take what's in our treasury and go and buy some food because we're out of food. And he says, does anybody have any food? And there was seven loaves and fishes. And somebody, a young person, handed those loaves and fishes to Jesus, who could have distributed amongst himself and the apostles and ate, because that was for their provision. Nobody expected them to feed 5,000 people. But what did he do? Did he just chow down? No, he gave it away to other people. Now, he didn't do this until after he made everybody sit down in companies of 10 in ranks of 50 and 100. And he's got them all sit down. 5,000 people organized in these. Now, what they did is they used to sit down in little circles. The, the, those symposia were little circles. You'd even see pictures of them on old Greek vases of symposia which, of course, a vase is round, and they would be all the way around. It was kind of like the round table of uh, King Arthur's court. Nobody's sitting at the head of the table. Nobody's in charge. At least ten people sit down in a circle. That word circle that we have today is actually where the word churche comes from. It doesn't come from ancient temples that did use the same phrase. You have to remember that the temples weren't originally buildings. If you go back far enough in history, the temples were areas where people gathered. Well, how did they gather? The Teutons gathered in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Well, the ten, how did they get? In circles. <laughs> and then the fifties in circles and in, in, in ranks of one hundred. And this is how they organized society in order to get things done. You know, and make sure everybody was accounted for. Make sure we're not leaving anybody behind. Like I say, it's the buddy system times ten. And Christ commanded his apostles to make the people organize themselves in that way. And then he asked if there was any food. And then he took that food and he gave it away. He didn't eat. He gave it away to somebody else. It's kind of like that old story of Alexander the Great. His men traveling across the desert. I mean, they were out of water and trying to get their soldiers all the way across this desert. And a, a runner, a scout, came back with his helmet filled with water. And he gives it to Alexander so Alexander can drink. But Alexander's not going to drink that water until all his men can drink the water. Now, he knew that it wasn't very far away because this runner had just brought him. says there's water up ahead. But he took it and he poured it out. This is the story anyway. And there's paintings in this effect. He poured it out onto the ground. And said he's not going to drink until all his men drink. And this is how he got loyalty. So Christ says, I'm not going to eat until everybody else eats. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm fasting from eating till everybody can eat. 
did did loaves and fishes just appear out of the thin air and everybody had loaves and fishes and miraculously or did miraculously the people start sharing they 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 saw Jesus share did they start sharing is that the miracle so now if you're an introvert you can think about that if you're an extrovert you can say oh no that can't be true <laughs> because i didn't think that already and i that that would mean i have to do something and i'm, I'm i don't i don't want to do anything <laughs> <laughs> that I would have to sit down in tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start sharing also. I just want to be saved. I just want to believe I'm saved because I thought a thought. I don't have to do anything. Even though that that's one of the amazing things. Uh, that's one of the questions uh, that has come up uh, recently. And I'm going to try to make some audios to answer these different questions that uh, somebody has put to me to go on the air in another country. Anyway, uh, one of the questions was, there are so many different denominations today in Christianity. Why is that? Didn't uh, Jesus Christ just start one church, his church? What is the church exactly? And can churches today really be called churches when compared to the church established by in the first century by Christ? Well, yeah, that first century church was doing stuff a lot different. All the social welfare was done through that church. And uh, that, as a matter of fact, they were excluded. If if you got the baptism of Christ, you were cast out of the network of synagogues set up by the Pharisees and by King Herod. You, you weren't going to get any more help from the Corbanos, the Corban, the treasury that those money changers had been putting funds into for years. You're not you're we're not going to get any more help from them. If you got that baptism of Jesus Christ, you were going to be put out. Your your name was they were going to strike a line to your name. You were you were literally by baptizing you were opting out of the social welfare system of Judea. And so now that's something to think about. That that was a second exodus. They were coming out. So how are they going to be taking care of one another? Because some of those people coming out might need help and they might be widows and orphans. So think about that. We'll be right back. So welcome back. So how do we tie all these ideas together? Introversion, uh, reaction to uh, stimulation from outside of ourselves uh, that we see and observe all the way around us. Uh, we've recently talked about the watchman on the wall who's supposed to give an alarm, tell people that there's danger coming. But they're also supposed to tell the people when they're off track, when they're going the wrong way. And of course... Christ talks about strong delusion uh, being sent, uh, about many people actually thinking they're Christians, but they're not Christians. They're actually even workers of iniquity, that he doesn't even know them. They don't even know him. Of course, he also talks about the fact that the Pharisees who thought they knew Moses, they were absolutely convinced that they knew Moses, that their their sacrifices were making God happy. And in reality, they were not. They didn't even know Moses, and therefore they didn't know Jesus. 
Could you possibly not know Jesus? Think you know Jesus today and not know Jesus? I mean, if they could be fooled, you could be fooled. Christ said we would be fooled. As a matter of fact, he said, not only would there be a strong delusion, but the whole world would be deceived. Would be, And he warns us several places in the Bible, warns us about uh, be careful that you do not be deceived. So the reality is we should always be checking ourselves. Are we deceived? Are we being fooled? Are we being misled? I mean, what do you do about the fact that Christ commanded that the early church do certain things and the early church historically did those things and the modern church doesn't do those things really at all? I mean, 90% of the welfare provided within almost every church in America, and and most churches around the world, but certainly in America. I can't speak for all the churches because I haven't seen them all yet. And I know there are a few churches that actually take care of one another on a regular basis. But 90% of the welfare in most churches is done by the government. And the government operates by exercising authority one over the other and forcing the contributions of the people. Taking, in other words, taking away from your neighbor to provide you with loaves and fishes. And they take away from your neighbor by force. It's not free will contributions. It's not charity. It's not personal sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Certainly, when you pay taxes, that's a sacrifice. We can't argue with that. That certainly is a sacrifice. But you're forced to sacrifice. And God wants you to choose to sacrifice. And and so, you're not choosing. You're not letting your neighbor choose to help you or not help you. You want to make him help you. And today, we look in politics. I guess Trump is the president at this particular time in the United States government. And he was elected. And a lot of people got very upset. And they're still upset. Of the fact that Trump was elected, and there, yeah, I heard on the news just before we started the show that uh, the tail end of the news was talking about airlines are refusing to transport children, uh, the immigrant children that have been taken away from whoever they came into the country with. They weren't necessarily taken away from their parents; they were taken away from somebody they were traveling with and entered the country with. Uh, evidently thousands of children are being brought into the country by people who are not their parents. And uh, and there's a great deal of human trafficking going on. I, I mean, I heard a statistic the other day. 80% of the young girls who uh, make the journey to come to the American border and get into the United States, 80% of them are raped at least once in this process. That's astounding. That's huge. You know, that's that's more than what they think goes on on college campuses. Because <laughs> there's, oh, there's a huge statistic of one in, what, four or one in five or something like this supposedly is raped on college campuses. Which proves, evidently, that's not true. That's That actually doesn't take place. But, I mean, once people throw out these statistics... And it fits the the scenario of uh, a, a group or a segment of society. You you can't you can't alter their thinking. They they're just fixed on that. You could bring on all kinds of evidence that that's not true, 
And they, they don't care. Because they, they're not introverts. <laughs> they're not, their, their, their information, uh, is not important. Facts are irrelevant. Uh, it, it's just about stimulation from external sources. And once they have that external source, uh, that, you know, in their minds, they don't, they don't contemplate it. They don't, they don't consider that it might be wrong. And this is not just introversion and extroversion. This has to do with humility. Because, see, people don't want to believe that they can be wrong. Once they've accepted something as true, they don't want to believe that they're wrong. That they've accepted something as true that just ain't so. That And that has to do with humility, which is why... Christ talked about how important being humble and humility is when he compares the prayer of the Pharisee and the prayer of the publican. The publican is saying, you know, I'm, I've screwed up. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not, I'm not a good guy. Uh, I've done bad things. Uh, you know, Lord have mercy on me. Very humble position. While the Pharisees saying, you know, I'm saved, I believe in Moses, I do these wonderful things, uh, and I am so much better than those other guys over there. Which one is going to enter into the kingdom? You know, we know now, because I told you at the beginning of the show, that the fathers of the earth was the government. The senators were all the patri, called the fathers. And they provided benefits through the temples. And uh, they provided protection through the, their system of government. And uh, and the, the emperor was giving away free bread on a regular basis. You go to the temple. There's a little building next to the temples and you get your free bread. And it would come on certain days out of the week. And if if you were a Jew, Augustus passed a law... That if the free bread giveaway day fell on a day where the Jew could not go and get it because of, you know, religious, you know, the Pharisees had days where you couldn't go walk and do these things, that they could come on another day. He actually passed a law so that Jews could get the free bread. Christians would not get that free bread because it was coveting your neighbor's goods because The food that was giving away was giving away because men exercised authority and forced the contributions of the people. They often forced the contributions of foreigners first, but eventually when the coffers were getting uh, pilfered by criminal elements within the government, you know, like Nero. There's a statue of Nero I saw years ago. and it was a very lifelike statue of Nero. Looked like Bill Clinton. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's an actor. <laughs> you know, so, but anyway, no, I don't pick on poor Bill. You know, Bill might repent of his sins. As terrible as the things that he's done in the past. He might repent and get into the kingdom before some of the people that I know that are out there supposedly preaching the gospel. Because they're part of the problem. And not that he isn't part of the problem too, but there's a lot of people who are part of the problem. 
Bill could actually repent and change. Doesn't look real good for him right now, but who knows? But, but you can repent. If you're willing to look and, and do some introspection and think about this, Christians could have gone and got the free bread of Rome. But they didn't. They practiced what they called, at that time, private religion. You see, religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. Even just 200 years ago, religion was defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to your fellow man was to share. If you got two coats and he doesn't have one, you should share. If you got extra food and he doesn't have enough, you should share. You should take care of him. That's what religion used to be at one time. Now religion is what you think about God. And I can show you, and we do in articles, show you in the dictionary that that's actually what they're doing. <laughs> they changed the definition of religion. So you think if I join this church, because I really like the people there, I like the music, they have really nice pews, they got great air conditioning. Um, so I'm going to join that church because that really makes me feel good. You know, I'm going to go down there and listen to Joel, Joel Osteen. And uh, listen to his, because, man, I love the crowd. <laughs> I, I'm getting the crowd, and everybody is listening, and a big church, and, boy, we can't all be wrong, right? <laughs> well, guess what? You can't all be wrong. There were big crowds that walked away from Jesus. Jesus, the Christianity was not the majority. It's only maybe 5% of the Roman Empire, but it changed the course of history. How did it do that? Well, a lot of people had to do some introspection. <laughs> they had to look inside and say, you know, we can't be coveting our neighbor's goods through the agency of government. We can't be trying to take away from our neighbor. We need to learn to love our neighbor. And all the music in church and the singing and the Preachers who tell us that we're saved, not because of what we do, but because of what we think. Uh, that's just anti-Christ. You aren't saved because of what you do. In the sense that God owes you salvation. You can't get to the point where God owes you salvation. That's agreed. But it says over and over again, you will be judged according to your works. You, you, to repent means to actually follow Christ. That's another question that comes up. What does it mean to follow Christ? How does one follow Christ? Well, you have to do what he says. And of course, Christ says that. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, say I believe, say that uh, I'm a Christian, but those who actually do the will of the Father. John uh, goes on to say that if you don't keep the commandments, <laughs> You're not a Christian. You have to keep the commandments. If you love him, you will keep the commandments. That's what he says. So if you're not keeping the commandments, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're doing some of the other lists of the Ten Commandments, then you may have need of repentance. And you need to... You see, because with repentance... 
comes faith. Faith is a gift. You don't have faith because you made a decision. You have faith because God has given you faith. The, the elect would be fooled except by the grace of God. You, you, you only have faith in God by the grace of God. Now, you do make a choice. But once you make that choice, the Holy Spirit takes over and begins to guide you. Introversion is really just a personality trait. It's uh, characterized by the focus on internal feelings rather than external sources and stimulation. What what happens, the introvert uh, tends to experience uh, chronically higher stimulation levels, more sensitive to external stimulation, uh, and they tend to seek activities and environments where they can escape from overstimulation from time to time. And so because they do that from time to time, they become comfortable alone. Now, they could become addicted. There are a lot of other factors. This is just one little factor. They can become addicted to being separate from everybody else. You know, I like to be around people, but I am absolutely content not being around people. I can do it either way. And one of the reasons why is because, and and we used to, a lot of the people in my family, we would go to town. And we're a long ways from town. It's a 200-mile round trip to get to a town. And uh, we would, in the town, the nearby town is Bend, Oregon. And uh, when we would come back, we'd say we had the bends. We were actually kind of like tired out. We'd feel this form of, like I said, we call it the bends, uh, of exhaustion. Having been in town all day and around crowds, sometimes we'd make two days of it and stay in a motel and do all our shopping and then come back. What what was really going on? And uh, because of the fact that you can be away from people for a period of time and then you can go into the midst of people, I began to make observations and note what's really going on. That just standing where a lot of other people are, are going... Uh, and, and I was in charge of security for a, a major corporation that was going out of business and selling all of the, the everything that was in their stores and even the racks and everything. And there was a lot of commotion. And I noticed the commotion was different in the internal part of the store than it was when you were in the checkout lines. In the checkout lines, the people's mental state changed. And if you stood over there, there was a different spirit in that area than there was when they were in the shopping mode. What it is, is that you're actually picking up on the mental state of the people. And this is where mass hysteria comes from. When there's uh, something going on, you know, crowds and everybody's moving and and uh, there's a panic that uh, spreads through the crowd. It spreads through other people. It can actually spread through whole towns. And you end up with the the Salem effect, where the whole town is kind of on a witch hunt. Because the mental state of each individual person affects the mental state of everybody else. And they begin to move like a school of fish in one direction or another direction or another emotion. Well, an introvert 
or what we call introvert, which is the result of the fact that the person is picking up on this external stimulation all around them, he is sensitive to that and he sees that. Now, if he can step out of that commotion and see it from an observation point of view, he he can see what's going on around him. He can see the whirlpools and eddies of emotion going on around him. He can see the energies that are affecting everybody else in the mob, in the group. Now, that's that's more than just being introverted. That's That's being able to step outside of that. Now, let's go back to the fact that uh, Trump is president. And supposedly, this is the big controversy for the last week or so, is that supposedly children are being ripped from their parents' hands when they try to come across the borders. And we just explained that many of those people, those children, are not with their parents. They're with other people or, or people that cannot prove that they're their parents. There's traffickers. There's there's uh, MS-13 coming across the border and you bring a kid with you and you say, this is my kid and, and you get him across. And the reality is is that uh, that's that's clearly going on. So you catch somebody who's just come across the border and they're with a child. Is it their child? Now, theoretically, they broke the law by crossing the border by not going to a checkpoint. And people say, well, these people are looking for asylum. You can go to any embassy in the United, uh, in Mexico. There's nine, uh, at least nine. There may be ten, actually, total. You can go to, and if you want asylum, you can claim asylum, and nobody's going to take your kid away. And they will do it confidentially. You can claim and go through the process of claiming asylum at any one of these U.S. And they're all along the border. They're out in the middle of Mexico. You don't have to. And you can come from other countries and you're in Mexico already and you can go there and claim asylum. But a lot of these people aren't really claiming asylum. They just want to get into the United States for one reason or another. Some of them are in one come in and commit crimes. Some of them want to come in and just make a better life for themselves. But they come with a kid. How do you know whose kid is who? and, And you can't put the kid in jail. But you have to put these people in a detention center. This is, you know, I mean, this is the rule since 2002. This wasn't made up by Trump. This has been going on for years and years and years. But the media seems to try to focus that somehow Trump created this. That Trump is doing this. And nobody's looking at the facts. He didn't create this situation. He's not doing this. These laws are passed in 2002. I can give you the... You you want to look it up yourself? So, you know, is the facts... Do facts matter? I can, I can give you the public law number. It's uh, public law 107-296. You can go look it up. You're looking specifically for section 462, Children Affairs Concerning Alien Children. Um, look under subject G for definition. And uh, this has all been passed a long time ago. It's been going on for years and years and years. But people are, you, you get people are supposedly educated, intelligent people. That somehow think that somehow that Trump has done this. I mean, Time Magazine puts this little kid on the 
front of Time magazine with Trump staring down at this little crying kid. That little kid was never taken from their parents. Yet their parents are now in America and they came forward and said that, 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 that our, our child was never taken from us. They could prove that this was their child. And they were, they wanted to come into the U.S. and evidently they have now come into the U.S. For all I know, they voted for Trump. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be as inaccurate as everybody else. I didn't vote for Trump. I don't vote. I'm seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why would I be voting for the new commander-in-chief? Which is, you know how you say commander-in-chief in Latin? Imperator. <laughs> he's the new, he's the imperator of the new Rome. Uh, of the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he is what he is. I, I, I don't, I'm not against him. I'm not for him. Yeah, I pray for him. I hope he does well. But the idea that somehow or other he's out there ripping children from their parents' arms, that's not what's taking place. So now an airline, according to the news just before the show, is not, does not want to transport these children because they don't want to be a part of taking children away from their parents. Where do you think they're transporting the children? They're transporting the children to family members. Uh, even they're taking them to even other illegal aliens who already live in the United States, transporting the children because they don't want to leave the children in a detention center while they figure out who these people are. Is this really their parents? Whatever. They can only do this for 20 days. That's also in the law if you look it up. Now, you, if you want to change that law, call your patri, senators, <laughs> you know, and they will change those laws for you. That's not the way we operate in the kingdom of God. We care about one another and we, we don't do that. But uh, you've created this problem and then you try to create a solution and usually your solutions create more problems. And because, but you don't think these things out. You, you, you just get this external stimulation. Something bad happening. It must be Trump's fault. It doesn't work that way. The, the reality is that, and they haven't lost all these kids. The fact is, is the, the people they put them with move and because they're illegals, they don't show up at their court date. So they can't find the kids. The parents, if they are around, they'll know where they are. It's not a secret. They are communication with each other. But you have to think a little bit. But anyway, we'll, we'll explain the solution when we come back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're, we're going to, you know, I was talking about introverts in the last show and extroverts. And they, they did a study uh, where they asked like a hundred questions. I think it was even more than that. I think it was like almost a thousand questions but uh, of, of people. And they found that introverts, people that they would categorize easily as introverts based on a, a short questionnaire, uh, score higher on these questions than trained psychologists. And the questions were, you know, things like, do people work hard in groups or uh, harder in groups or as individuals? Uh, are people uh, more responsible in groups or as individuals? 
And, um, and there were a lot of, I mean, the questions just go on and on and on and on and on. But, uh, they, they knew supposedly the answer to these because of this extensive surveys that had been done before and, and tests that had been done before. And, uh, they asked trained psychologists and they asked people that were not trained psychologists, but were just had this introvert personality and they, answered more questions with a much higher, uh, you know, correct higher score than the trained psychologists. So how is that? Is because they, they look not only at the information that's coming in, but they compare it with information that is already in existence. When I was, yeah, I didn't even, I couldn't read till I was nine years old. And uh, even when I was uh, in high school, I had extremely slow reading. I could not read fast. Uh, I just didn't have, you know, very many words per minute. But I had a pretty good comprehension. Because when I would read, and I, I could still see myself doing this, I would be reading a sentence... And I'm still comparing, it was when I was much better at multitasking, comparing the last sentence with information that I already had. <laughs> so I was always relating what I was taking in to things that I'd already uh, observed or, or learned. And I had these periods or, or moments in time that I call Kodak moments, where I would see certain things and note that they're important. And then I would relate them maybe years later, sometimes decades later, to things that occur in my life. So I'm I'm constantly making this comparison. And But you see in the news today where people, you know, and you could tell them, of course now a lot of people just watch, they just watch a stream, you know, people live what they call a stream of consciousness. It's just what comes in their mind, that's it. What well, comes in their mind, that's it. And they watch TV, they watch the news, and they put things in your mind, that's it. You know, Trump is ripping children from the their parents' hands. And that's it. You don't do any thinking about it. You know, they show you a picture. The picture was taken a decade ago, or half a decade ago, long before Trump was in power, and now you associate that picture with Trump. And, you know, I don't really care Trump or not Trump or anything like this, but they do it with all kinds of things. They they actually move the consciousness of society with these images. And they know they're doing it. I mean, they, we call it fake news. Well, the reality is, I mean, like, if they're showing you pictures from 2014 and blaming what you're seeing on Trump, who wasn't around doing any of this stuff or deciding any of these things in 2014, then what are you doing? I mean, they're showing pictures of kids in music videos and saying that these are prisoners taken from their parents and, and put in behind cages or they show a kid crying behind a cage. It's a staged event. And they show it because they're not, they know you're not going to do any thinking. They're not, you're not going to do any comparison. You're just going to receive the image and be stimulated and then you'll go on to the next stimulation. 
Well, they're able to move mass opinion with that. Fortunately, there are a few people that think in America, but then how much do they think? How much do they compare? Well, that that's all dealing with Trump and and uh, and the immigration situation in America, which they're having similar problems in uh, Europe as well. Uh, they don't have a big well. They do have a problem with immigration in Mexico because there are people coming up from South American countries. But they built a big, huge wall, uh, and uh, they don't treat uh, the people that come into their country illegally as well as we do. As a matter of fact, we probably treat people coming into this country better than almost any other country in the world. Although there's some European countries that are. They're really rolling out the red carpet and will pay the price for it. Because what happens when you do that is it draws a different kind of people. People used to come to America to make a better life. And they knew that in order to do that, you had to work hard. And they came here to work hard and make a better life for their families. And uh, that that's that's great that makes your country stronger if you you don't actually have to build a wall to protect the borders of america from bad people uh and again i go back to during the peloponnesian wars and they wanted to build a wall around some of the other city states and athens was willing to loan them money for that civic project and of course they would be paid back the bankers would make a lot of money there there is a the huge uh, fund that has been created by showing some of these false pictures and false scenarios, like the picture on the front of Time magazine. And they've been raising money to help uh, these families that uh, are coming and, and being arrested for coming to the country illegally. Well, they're, they're amassing, what was it, $17 million, almost $20 million dollars? And how are they going to help the families? They're going to provide legal defense for them and help them with the immigration policy. So who's going to benefit from that? Well, some of them might benefit, but I can tell you the lawyers are the ones who are going to benefit. That's a $20 million slush fund for a bunch of lawyers (laughs) who are going to be helping... They're going to be pulling down six figures by the end of the year out of that $20 million. That the, but people don't think about that. Oh, we just have to help them. You want to help people get rid of social welfare through the men who exercise authority one over the other. If you get rid of that, if you actually repent and do what the first century church did, because the Corbin which was the sacrifice that was compelled by statutory rules that came down through Herod and the Sanhedrin, which was their Congress at the time, was forcing the contributions of everybody who signed up, and you pretty much had to sign up if you wanted to work in places like Rome or Judea. You wanted to get the good government jobs and contracts. You had to sign up and be a member. And then you had to pay in to the treasury, to provide for the social welfare of the people. That changed the whole atmosphere. I mean, it wasn't that way a hundred years ago in America. That's how we took care of the needy in our society. We did it through pure religion. We didn't do it through government. Even, you know, 120 years ago, public schools 
was not the common way in which people got educated. And even then, the public schools were heavily funded by private donations. The the first public school in the United States, which was in Boston Latin School, which we talked about a couple of programs ago, was entirely funded by contributions. There was no tax money, but it was still called a public school because it was available to those who didn't have any money or didn't have enough money to pay tuition. But so was Harvard. So was Yale. You could go to those and you didn't have to take out a student loan. But we've changed what we're doing. And if you don't think about these other parameters of society, if you don't look back in history, see the extrovert, he doesn't care about history. He just cares about the stimulation now. The extrovert, he doesn't care about what the law is or when it came about. He just cares about a picture that shows that somehow other Trump is stealing these kids from their parents, which most of those kids are not necessarily being taken from their parents. They're being taken by people who coming with them. But evidently thousands of them have not been their parents. <laughs> so, And what does the, the government do? They turn them over to sponsors to take care of these children outside of jailed housing or whatever you want to call it. They don't want to keep them more than 20 days. They want to put them with other family members or other sponsors who take care of them in a home environment. But all these problems, all this controversy would go away if you were actually sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and taking care of all your social welfare, not just a few niceties where you send a little money off to Mexico or Africa, but actually taking care of all your social welfare like the early church did. And you did this all through faith, hope, and charity. In order to do that, you had to have a network of people that actually loved one another as much as they loved themselves. This is this is what the early church was doing. So anyway, like I, I, I was talking to you about, so are you an introvert or do you have introvert characteristics or are you, have you become this total extrovert? Now, the extrovert is subject to outside stimulation. But he doesn't compare the outside stimulation with anything else. You know, I, you know, I've, I've told the joke before. I actually made it up myself. I'm sure somebody else has made it up too, you know, where, uh, and as a matter of fact, I think I've seen where other people have written it, where it says that if you do not learn from history, you are condemned to repeat it. And if you do learn from history, you're condemned watching other people who do not learn from history repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> which is is almost, if you're compassionate in any way, shape, or form, it's just as frustrating. Because you see these people, like, people, pay attention. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're hearing. Think about what they're telling you. But they, they pop these images up on, the, on your Facebook or your YouTube or your uh, 6 o'clock news or your 10 o'clock news or whatever. And you just run with it. 
and it stimulates emotions, hate, anger, resentment, and you feel energized, but you're also being manipulated and, 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 and moved about. You go to these churches and they pop up. You're saved. Because you've accepted Jesus Christ. Let's have an altar call. Walk up here. Get emotional. Get exposed to the emotion in this crowd. But many do that. But are they actually doing what Christ said? Are they doers of the word? They heard that Jesus Christ is the Christ. Christ, he's just calling Jesus the Christ. It's calling him the Messiah, the Messiah, the King. He's your commander-in-chief. He's your principal civitas. He's your apotheos. But he isn't going to sit there and rule over you with a big stick. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to rule over your hearts. But what's ruling over your hearts a lot of times now is what, what other people are saying in the news and in the media. That's ruling, and, and the images are flashing up in front of you. I have fallen prey to this as well. I remember way back when they were uh, in uh, Sarajevo and and having this whole Croatian uh, dispute, and they they showed yeah Time magazine again. <laughs> they showed uh, what looked like prisoners behind barbed wire, and there was a guy there without a shirt, and he was just skinny. Skin and bones. I mean, really skinny. I mean, I, I don't know what the guy had been eating, but he was skinny. And uh, and uh, it looked terrible. And front page on Time Magazine talking about concentration camps and all this kind of stuff. And and I thought, oh, this is, this is horrible. And I reacted to it. Well, it was a completely staged photo. The guy was not in jail. None of those people behind the barbed wire were in jail. As a matter of fact, that barbed wire fence only went for like 50 feet. And then you could just walk right around it. There was no gate or anything. It had been put up at one time and some people were out sunning themselves. One of them had a shirt off and he was extremely skinny. And uh, the cameraman went up to one side of the barbed wire and started talking to him. And they walked over to the fence to talk to the guy through the barbed wire fence because you'd have to walk all the way around otherwise. And they had a camera crew there taking pictures. And then they put it on the front of Time Magazine like these people are in a prison camp. They're not in a prison camp. They can walk right around the wire anytime they want. They made up the whole story in order to stimulate a reaction to you. Now, you go to church. They've made up whole theologies based on a few quotes here and there that they pick and choose out of the Bible. To get you to think and react in a certain way. But James says, by the works you shall know them. So what are they actually doing? They go to church. They, 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 they sing the songs. They say the prayers. They stand up, sit down, whatever is required of them. But are they practicing pure religion? Pure religion, according to James, is taking care of the needy of society unspotted, unspotted by the world, and the word world there is constitutional order or system of government. No patri of the earth 
is providing the welfare for Christians in the true church established by Jesus Christ. But I don't know where that is. I, I'm, I'm seeking it along with the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But it only comes if you're willing to sit down in the tens, fifties, and hundreds as Christ commanded and actually start sacrificing according to the way that Christ said to sacrifice, according to the way they actually start coming in Christ's name who came to serve. You go to church to be of service, not to get a good feeling. You don't go to church to get stimulated. You don't go to church to get renewed emotionally. You go to church to do what Christ said, to love your neighbor, to be there for your neighbor. You don't go to get something, you go to give something. Because Christ didn't come to get something. He came to give something. So if you're going to come in the name of Christ, you have to do that. That that has to be why you gather together. So what does that look like, gathering together? Uh, and You know, we had this discussion with the ministers and, and on the, in exchange on the ministers' email group and in uh, the conversations on the phone. Um, if... If you're looking at the purpose of the church, and the church is established for the purposes of Christ. It's not established for my purposes. It's not established for your purposes. Unless, of course, your purpose is in conformance with Christ. Uh, the church, in its most general sense, is one definition, is the religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ. It wasn't a founded and established by Martin Luther or the Church of England or the Pope. It was established by Jesus Christ to receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. So how do you know the doctrines and ordinances of Christ? Well, you read the Bible. That's one way you know. But then, of course, the Bible is not written for private interpretation. So you're going to need the Holy Spirit to actually help you understand what the doctrines and ordinances of Christ. Well, one of the ordinances of Christ is that he commanded his apostles to make the people sit down in companies, basically of ten. It doesn't say ten there. It says symposia, but symposia were generally ten. In ranks of fifty and ranks of one hundred. And to do this so that there can be a distribution, a daily ministration of the, to the needy of the people. The, and, and why did they mention widows and orphans? Because if you have a need, you should go to your family first. And your family should take care of you. But there are widows and orphans out there. There are people who've lost their family. Or maybe their family has suffered such a devastating blow that they just can't handle it themselves. And they're going to need assistance. If you're sitting in the tens, fifties, and hundreds, and thousands, you can find out who needs assistance and get that assistance to them. If you're just scattered out there uh, along the way and you don't make connection with anybody else and you're just waiting for somebody to stumble upon you, well, don't count on it. It may not happen. 
Now, God will intervene from time to time, but Christ didn't make that command for nothing. So you want to receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. One of his ordinances is to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds of thousands. Another one is not to pray to the fathers of the earth. Another one is to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. So that puts everybody in a 50% tax bracket. If you're going to care about your neighbor as much as yourself, everybody should be giving 50%. Of course, you don't have to give 50% money. You could give some time. You could give some energy. You can give some thought. You can give some prayer. You can you can fast and ponder. That's what I've been doing lately with these uh, seven questions that were put to me. I've, I thought, well, they'd be pretty easy to answer. And, and to some degree they are, but I have a time limitation. But also I'm talking to people in a foreign country and with particular problems that they're facing. We're all going to be facing the same problems, but there's different nuances of those problems and and different manifestations of them. So exactly how do I answer this? So it takes a lot of prayer. And because we're dealing with demonic influences in the world that is stimulating you to think this way, think that way, go this way, that's one of the things is the most amazing thing. I I was shocked that uh, that Trump won the election in America because I thought, well, you know, he was so awkward as a politician. He wasn't a smooth politician by any means. But then again, who who was he up against? You know, uh, you know, the devil in the deep blue sea. <laughs> so anyway. But what really shocked me, which was really uh, astounding, is the reaction of those people when he won. The the reaction of the people who hate him. I mean, just totally, without any reservation, just absolutely fell apart. Total hate and despising. And now, no matter what happened, you flash a scene up there. I mean, he's responsible for everything from... I'm surprised they haven't blamed uh, the Hawaiian volcanoes. <laughs> I probably somebody has, uh, but uh, it, it's there's a huge energy moving mass uh, elements of society uh, with tremendous emotion and anger without any rationale, without any introspection or examination and that concerns me because that's how you see uh, you know your your fascist and your uh, communist regime rise to power where you see the like the Salem witch hunts where all of a sudden everybody is in danger or the gulag archipelago where you could be shipped off uh, without any rationale whatsoever because these people are not rational they're not thinking facts don't matter and if if the wrong image is popped up in front of them they will i mean that you talk about your bloodlust um i mean the 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 things that are coming out of these people if 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 you had said them if republicans had said them, <laughs> you would have you would have had tremendous backlash one of the amazing things and i think it's true is that you you go on some of these liberal shows, or I don't know what the I even hate, you can't even use the word liberal anymore, but uh, they can 
they can badmouth Christianity and Christian uh, believers and you know what's posing as Christian believers today, which are there's elements of sincerity. You know, like Pence is talks about that. You know, he's guided by his relationship with Christ. You know, he speaks to Christ, and uh, and Christ answers his prayers. It doesn't say he's hearing voices. It just says that he has this personal relationship. And I don't know the guy, but you get the people like The View picking on him and and belittling him, ridiculing him, saying that he's mentally ill and deranged. What about people who believe in Muhammad and believe that it's okay to to marry a 10-year-old or 12-year-old? It's okay to do that. That's bizarre. That's okay. If you attack that, oh, you're attacking their religion. Have a little respect for their religion. Same people. You know, uh, it, it, it's insane. But they're, it's, it, they're not interested in facts. They're not in, interested in information. They're operating in this emotional, spiritual realm that can steer whole segments of the population in a particular direction. And I, I've seen this around since I was a small child. I've seen evidence of it. I've watched it. Like I've told the story, you know, sitting outside of a, an emporium where they dump all the discounted I, items on the table at Christmas and people are in there just reaching and pushing, trying to get to the items and picking out items and everything like that, like vultures on a carcass. And that's what cured me of Christmas. Because I saw that spirit moving in those people. You know, and I could sit back and watch it. Now, when I was a child, I wasn't always as removed. I would I would observe, but I could be carried away, especially when I got in my teens. Um, uh, by the stimulation around me. But uh, I could come back from that. And uh, there's a way to learn how to come back from that because these are characteristics and attributes. And I'd like to teach them to you. And we do. But join the network because we will teach you through the network. We'll be back. So welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. You know, in Matthew 24, Jesus uh, departed from the temple and his disciples came to to him to show him the building of the temple. And uh, Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and disciples came unto him privately, uh, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the signs of thy coming, and the end of the world? And now you see that word, end of the world, and like I say, there's four or five different words in the uh, Hebrew and uh, the Greek, let's put it that way, in the Greek, that are translated into world and in that particular uh point it's it's the end of an age the end of this age and his coming 
Well, some will tell you, previous will tell you that this has already taken place, that Christ came at the fall of Jerusalem. He also came when he rose again from the dead. But then he talks after that about coming again. And and uh, others say that he'll come in like manner in the clouds. And uh, there's reports of him coming in the clouds at the fall of Jerusalem. Now, whether you want to believe that or not, it doesn't really matter. There is no where in the Bible where it even mentions second coming with the term second. There's no reason to believe that Christ can't come back as many times as he wants. <laughs> but anyway, so uh what did he mean when he said a stone upon a stone? Well, if, if you think like the Pharisees who did not know Jesus, nor did they know Moses, that we were supposed to pile up stones... Uh, kill sheep, put them on top of the stones and set them on fire, which is a common belief amongst modern Christians as well as Pharisees at the time of Jesus Christ, then you don't probably understand what he means by a stone upon another stone. Because the stones of the altars were always living men. A gathering of stones is a gathering of men in the Hebrew language. Same word. So, the uh, the the Essenes at that time understood that uh, the animal sacrifice practiced by the Pharisees by piling up stones and setting sheep on fire, letting the blood, they actually let the blood go out. They would collect the fat because the fat belonged to the the Levites according to a translation and then they made soap with that supposedly and and sold the soap and that was there was a lot of money involved in this whole process but the the critical thing here is involving also what they call the shambles which most people don't know because they they don't think about what they're reading in relationship to the history of the time. They don't read it in the context of reality. They read it in the context of their limited view of reality. And they are do not want to be bothered with actual facts of what was going on. If the Essenes thought that the animal sacrifice of the Pharisees, the Essenes who read Hebrew, spoke Hebrew, made copies of the Torah, believed that the animal sacrifice that was being done in the temple at the time that Jesus came and was not recognized was a fiction and a fraud, then why do you think that the Old Testament calls for animal sacrifice on piles of dead stone uh, to burn up smoke to go up into the nostrils of God? Why do you think that's true? It's because you were told it's true. And that's part of the information that they were giving you. And if I come along and say, yeah, you know, that's not true. You've been deceived. I'm the bad guy. I'm fake news. But that's because you've already accepted fake good news. You don't understand Christ. You have been deceived. And if you read a little bit farther... In Matthew 24, up to verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. 
Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, I am anointed, that's what that word means, and shall deceive many. He's telling you that many will be deceived. Is that already happened? Is it happening now? Are you one of those that have been deceived? You know, you're going to have to have that humble heart I talked to you about in order to accept the fact that you may have already been deceived. Mark thirteen six. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, I am anointed, and shall deceive many. Luke 21, 8. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Now remember, 120 years ago, most of the welfare in this country, the vast majority of the welfare, the vast majority of the education in this welfare, uh, in this world, was done by private donations and cooperation and charity and uh, people assisting one another. Today, a small fraction of the funds actually expended for the welfare of individuals in society comes from contributions. Even in so-called Christian churches. In the early church, you were cast out of the systems that used force, that compelled the contributions of your neighbors so that they could provide you with free bread. Uh, Christians were cast out of such systems. Even to the point, like in Rome, they were actually cast out of Rome. They had to actually leave Rome. They couldn't even have jobs in Rome. Which was actually for their benefit. (laughs) I guess the animosity towards them had grown. So if you actually did what Christ said and sat down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, actually started contributing 10-20% of what you produce, maybe in time or money or, or, or commodities, to help take care of the needy of society... And, of course, if there was extra and surplus, we will take it out as a sacrifice of the red heifer uh, to aid others. And that's a part of our evangelism. You know, we will will set up homes that can take in, you know, five or six people. Maybe unwed mothers so that they don't abort their child. Maybe elderly people that are falling falling through the cracks but have... With that discerning perception, they have a uh, tracks, kingdom tracks in their life. We will take them in and help them. Because you're going to see the systems of the world failing. I mean, that's what happened in Rome. That's how the emperors partly rose to power, even way back in the days of the proconsul. That the bread was not available. There was hunger. And, of course, those are the things you're going to be seeing. But right now, as the watchman on the wall, I look out there and I see this this ability to manipulate huge amounts of very active people in society to move in paths of hate and resentment and unreasonable judgment and anger 
and reaction. It is just so unhealthy that no matter how many facts you show, that wait, wait a minute, that's not what's happening. This this wasn't instituted by Trump. This was instituted before he even came. Now, I'm not excusing him, but he actually evidently signed an executive order to try to alleviate some of this. But really... Uh, you know, and as one guy said, I hope that executive order doesn't make it easy for child traffickers to get away with keeping kids that don't even belong to them, which evidently has has happened. And so, you know, but that's their mess. What I want you to focus on is: Have you been deceived? Are you are you doing what Christ says? Be taking heed and being careful that you have not been deceived about the gospel. It is very clear in our own history, recent history, that religion was that pious performance. Even the word pious. If you look up the definition of the word pious at that time, it has to do with a patrimonial right and responsibility. It's a fatherly responsibility or responsibility to your father. Christ even had a parable about this. Two sons. He says, you know, to one son, do this. And the son said, yes. And the other son said, no, I'm not going to do it. The one that said yes did not go and do it. He did not do it. He said, yes, I'm the church. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But I don't want to have to take care of one another to faith, hope, and charity. Just let the government do that. I'm going to go to the air-conditioned church and listen to the music because they got a great band. But the other one who first said no, he went out and had compassion and did what his father said. He, he fulfilled the job of what his father said. Jesus asked, which one is the son? Well, they don't give us the answer there. But you tell me which one is the son. Jesus did say, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? That you take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. That's the will of the Father. How can you do that if you do not sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? How can you do that? If you will not forgive one another and come together and sit down and get along with one another. You still get to do free will offerings. You still get to pick your minister. You still get to decide who you're going to share with and who you're not going to share with. And that is your responsibility. Because you don't want to just give to everybody. Because you only got so much to give. You want to give wisely. But unfortunately, modern Christendom has been deceived by many preachers who are not really preaching the simplicity and, and, and of the doctrines and ordinances of Christ. How many churches are dealing with the weightier matters? What are the weightier matters? They don't even know. Most preachers can't even list to you what Jesus called the weightier matters. Law, which includes judgment, mercy, and faith. Okay, you got somebody at the border? Who comes with their family? Why aren't they connected in Mexico? Or Yucatan or or Peru or, you know, whatever. Uh, Chile. 
or South Africa or or wherever they're at? Why aren't they already connected with a network of Christians who care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves? Because if they were, there would be people here in America that could sponsor their entry into this country and bring them into a community where they don't need to sign up for welfare and unemployment. If you were actually taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, there would be no influx of thousands of people that uh, believe in taking from their neighbor through government to provide for their welfare. I mean, there there are, just as an example, this is an extreme example. You don't have to look at the extreme. There are Muslims who come in this country, get married, or, or come in with their wife, divorce their wife legally, and then marry another wife, continue to live with the first wife, having children with the first wife, and of course all those children end up on government welfare. So they're getting welfare checks of thousands of dollars a month to take care of their children, to raise them up in Sharia law. And they have multiple wives. But legally, they're fine breaking the law and divorcing and still living with their first wife and second wife and third wife. But they're divorced to two of them. They have to take care of them by law, right? So they take care of them by law, but they only have so much money, so now they they put them on government welfare. That goes on in America today. That's an abuse of the system. But they it's okay with them. Now, I, I don't want to pick on Muslims because you can find the same kind of thing all over the country. I can find it in Christian homes as well. Uh, and I could give you lots of examples of this that are just astounding. We're... we're Grandparents want their kids that are being born illegitimately by their own children out of wedlock because they get a $700 check for each one they add to their household. And that starts adding up. And that they actually, that's their motivation. Uh, it's astounding what goes on. And I, I can give you example after example. I see it all the time. You may not see it. It's not going to get into the news. But it's a reality that is taking place in America and it is not producing a healthy society. Because I've watched this over the years and several of them I know are already in prison. Several of those children have already gone to prison because they were not raised. The, The parents went to church. Even the kids sang in the choir, but they're in prison now. Because it's not a real family. And that's one of the doctrines and ordinances of Christ, is the family. But this whole system is breaking down the family. But if you were to go back to being what Christ said to be, the people who wanted to come into this country would not have access to this inexhaustible system. You know, people say, oh, they're not supposed to get welfare. They do. It, it happens. They, they get it under... Uh, under other names and under other ways, both legal and illegal immigrants. 
But it's breaking down our society. It's it's turning us into the one marshmallow society. They want that marshmallow now. They want that satisfaction now. And they don't mind getting it at the expense of their neighbor. Now you get to expound upon that. If I if I take this marshmallow from her and give it to you, is that okay? <laughs> There's another thing. Uh because it's not okay. It's a violation of the Ten Commandments. And Christ said, and John said, and the apostles said, keep the commandments. If you're not keeping the commandments, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. You can become a believer. But you have to repent. You have to think a different way. You cannot think it's okay to take away from your neighbor by force. You can't think that that's okay or that's righteous. Uh, that's that was not the the doctrine of Christ, and so you have to turn around. We this covetous practice has brought us back into the bondage of Herod, back into the bondage of Egypt, back into the bondage of the world. But the great bondage is the bondage of the mind, and a bondage of the heart. And you have to have the humility to realize we've done wrong, we've sinned. We've gone against the ways of Christ while calling ourselves Christians. And so we're, we're not the church. We seek to become His holy church. We strive to become His holy church because that's what He said to do. By conforming to his doctrines and ordinances. Propagating his doctrines and ordinances. That's, that's, that was the message that Christ had for us. Is to learn to love one another as he loved us. He came to serve. We have to come together to serve one another. That's his doctrines. His ordinance is that we have to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. We have to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. His ordinances also include that his ministers had to be separate from the world. I I don't collect Social Security. I I don't collect the benefits of the world. I, I have no entitlement to them. I've waived my entitlement to them. To be a servant of Christ. In order to serve Christ, I have to serve you. In order to serve you, I have to do what Christ said to do. Follow his doctrines and ordinances. And if others want to do the same, they can do it as a congregant or as a minister. They can begin to turn around and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We seek to be his holy church. We seek to be the servants of Christ. We seek to help overcome the deception of the world and to do righteousness to all. Everyone has an opinion about Christ and you're entitled to your opinion about Christ. Everyone has an opinion about what the church is supposed to be doing and you're entitled to that opinion. But God's opinion may differ from your opinion. And God's opinion is reality. And so, our opinion, what we have to guard against is that our opinion becomes an idol. 
we began to worship the opinion rather than Christ himself. And that's what we do. That's why there's 40,000 denominations out there. Is that we're worshiping our opinion about God and Christ. And, and we worship the institutions that are made by men. The, His Holy Church is an institution of Christ. And we seek to be that. To conform to Christ. And we're giving you hints and ideas and showing you the references in Christ's own words as they come down to us through the Testaments that you need to repent and look at church a different way than you were looking at it before. Look at the world with a different eyes and and a humble heart willing to see I I was wrong. I believed this and that is not true. I believed lots of things growing up because I was told them. But I was, I was a little bit more questioning than the average guy. But that was that introvert who was always pondering what I see. And I believed that through, through God's grace, he allowed me to see things that I would not have seen except by that grace. Now, if you're beginning to wake up and see things that you did not learn as a child. Maybe you had hints and glimpses of them as a child. But if you, you're beginning to see these things, you're just, you're just getting a, a glimpse of that crevice in the rock of what the kingdom looks like. But the more you travel towards that light, more you travel towards that understanding, the more you strive to go. When Christ was asked, are many saved or or few? Because they were seeing how difficult seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is. So they said, are, are many saved or a few? Jesus did not answer their question with a simple yes or no. He said, strive. Because the way is narrow. You know, I mean, how many foolish virgins were banging on the door and he would not let in. So, if you have no daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity in your church that is striving to become the entire social welfare of your society, the society in which you gather in, then you have need of repentance. You have need of turning around and going the other way. And that that is the way we're going. So join us on the network. Form congregations. Join congregations no matter how far away they are. And uh, start seeking that kingdom of God and and His righteousness. And until you do, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.